My name is John Seibert. I am president of City Square. Uh, City Square is a faith-based nonprofit here in Dallas that fights the causes and effects of poverty through service, advocacy, and friendship. And as you have a, a focus on justice uh, this day, uh, Charles thought I might be somebody that, that could speak a word about that. So here we go. <laughs> Jesus tells a story about two men that go to the temple to pray. And one is a Pharisee. And he stands front and center and proclaims, Thank you, God, that I am not like those sinners. The thieves, the rogues, the adulterers, and even like this tax collector here. Thank you, God, for me. For I am righteous. I tithe. I give back. I live according to Scripture. Thank you, God, for me. And then there's a tax collector, a sinner, who can't even bear to lift his eyes to the heavens. And with his head down, he beats his chest and says, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, the tax collector is the one who went home from church that day justified and forgiven. For anybody that exalts themselves, takes pride in their righteousness, they will be humbled. But for those of us who humble ourselves, we will be made righteous. Now, before I went to work at City Square seven years ago, I was a Church of Christ minister. Preached at the Richardson East Church for ten years. So I come out of Churches of Christ, and I know many of you do too. The great temptation with that parable is to churchify it. That's real comfortable. Because this parable feels like a great commercial for Churches of Christ. Who are we? We're the ones that say, thank you, God, for us. For we pursue righteousness. It's in our DNA to try to get things right. And while that might be a sincere, good intention, the result of trying to get things right is the cultivation of a pride that ultimately leads to contempt for others. So when we take pride in how we read Scripture and in how we interpret the Bible and in how we get the practices of worship correct, when we cultivate a delusion that even says we actually restored the first century church, it leads to a pride that says, thank you, God, that we're not like the Catholics and the Baptists and the denominations. Thank you, God, for us. For we are not like them. We got this thing right. And man, I want to just leave that right there and churchify this text so we can all shake our heads and be comfortable. This text forces me to look at me. 
and for you to look at you. And for us to dig deeper into our daily lives and think about who do we show contempt for. I think I'm a great driver. I must because I have contempt for so many people driving next to me. Last week, my family made a quick trip to Abilene Friday evening for a graduation party for a good friend of ours on Friday night. And there's a place in Weatherford where things shut down to one lane and everybody's getting over into one lane and trying to kind of single file, make their way through this bottleneck. And I see this one guy coming up in my rearview mirror just flying and he's going to bypass 50 cars and take his place at the front of the line by staying in the lane that's closing. So I filled with self-righteousness, pulled my minivan halfway out into the lane and shut him down. And it made my week. Thank you, God, I'm not like that jerk. It was going to cut in front of everybody. It's a lot like you, Charles. Get in line, buddy. <laughs> Yesterday, I went to the Ranger game. My son's a big baseball player. My family, are, they're big baseball fans. So we get out to the Ranger game quite a bit. David and I sit in our seats. And right diagonally to his left, one row in front of us, is a large, heavyset, older white man in a very loud Hawaiian shirt and a red Make America Great Again baseball cap. And David looks at my face, and I immediately look like I smell fart. That is the face of contempt. <laughs> and he giggles, because he knows when I see that hat, that's how I'm going to respond. That hat represents a threat to the people I work with and care about every day. It stands for a worldview counter to mine. And it fills me with a pridefulness about what I believe. Thank God I'm not like him. And I had all these false narratives. Like, how does he even like baseball? What's he doing that? <laughs> this text requires us to face our own self-righteousness. And think about who is it that I look down on. In my work at City Square, I encounter people every day who are looked down upon with contempt. Because of the way our economy works, the goals and aspirations of our country, we value people that do things a certain way and are rewarded for it in certain ways. And if you do things the right way, you will have a certain level of economic success. And so poverty is a threat to the American dream and to the vision of American prosperity. And it's a symbol of our way of life going wrong. And if we're not willing to ask what went wrong, then we look at people in poverty and decide they're the ones who went wrong. And when we value self-sufficiency, we assume they must not be very good selves. 
And so I find people who are hostile to our work because they, with very good intention, pursued financial righteousness. And they've worked hard and they've saved up. And they've done what you're supposed to do. And they had enough money for that down payment on the house. And they had enough money to get 0% interest on that car. And they have enough to rely on themselves. And they look at people in poverty and say, so what's wrong with you? And why should my hard-earned money have to be used for your housing and your health care? And I try to respect that contempt because I know it was born out of a well-intentioned righteousness to try to do things the right way. But poverty is a living reminder that something has gone drastically wrong. And we can either blame those who are in it, or we can look at ourselves. Jesus says, those who take pride in themselves will be humbled. And those who are humble will be exalted. The work of City Square is an attempt to live out this parable. To dispel the myth that there are rich people and poor people. And just say there are only people. That everybody's rich and everybody's poor just in different ways. So in our mission statement, we talk about finding the causes and effects of poverty through service. And and that service takes the form of like 22 different programs. We talk about advocacy. We do a lot of policy work and advocacy work. But then it's really important that in our mission statement, we say we also fight the causes and effects of poverty through friendship. And that relationships kind of ground everything we do. And it comes out of a belief that there aren't rich and poor, but that everybody's rich and that everybody's poor just in different ways. And that we all need one another. And that when we truly understand the nature of God's love and the nature of God's good news, we understand that there is no us and them. There is only us. And that we all are children of God. And that we all are in need of God's love. And and that all of us fall face down, humbled in the face of And so we attempt to create a community where that kind of love can live and where that kind of reciprocity can thrive and where humility will snuff out our contempt. But it's hard. Jesus invites us to hear his word. And then just a little later in Luke's gospel, He does something rare for a preacher, at least my experience as a preacher. He practices what he preaches. (laughs) Too often I preach to hear what I need, not to tell you what I've mastered. Jesus, who speaks this word, then enters Jericho and puts it into practice. He encounters one of those people. 
a tax collector. And that's really what we need to know about Zacchaeus. You know, if you grew up in Sunday school, what you remember is he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in that sycamore tree. His height's really not the story. His profession is his way of life. It is a way of life committed to wedding oneself to the powers and finding personal benefit by aligning with the powers that are oppressing others. And so he's made a great living. He's wealthy because he aligned himself with the Roman Empire. The very empire that is oppressing the Israelites, the Jews, God's chosen people. Now, a little sidebar here. This is a very un-American story. Because in this story, the sinner is rich. And in American Christianity, we do different math. We think rich equals saved. And poor equals lost. If you have a lot of money in the bank, God has really blessed you. God's blessings have showered upon you. You must be on God's team. You may be greedy, selfish, and willing to do anything and exploit anyone for your own personal gain. But we're going to baptize your bank account in America. Rich equals saved. And so if you're poor and you come to City Square, American Christians ask us, well, did you share Jesus with those people? I mean, I know you're giving them stuff and you're helping them get jobs, but like, are you doing ministry? Are you making sure they know Jesus? Because the assumption is if you're poor, surely you're not on God's team. And there must be something so sinful and deficient in you. You must be so distant from God. Or else you would have blessings and abundance showered upon you. And what I constantly have to tell well-meaning American Christians is, just because the church left this neighborhood a long time ago, doesn't mean Jesus ever did. And time and time again, I encounter low-income people who don't have an impressive stock portfolio but have an amazingly deep faith in Jesus. Like Mr. James, he was a trucker, had a good job, made a good living. His mom got sick. He had to dip into his savings to take care of her. Then he had to start taking off work try to help cover her health care and eventually his savings were depleted he didn't have enough money to renew his trucking license, he continued to work even though he was unlicensed he eventually got pulled over got fined, couldn't pay the fines lost his truck then lost his house became homeless he was asked by a well-meaning college student, so when you became homeless, is that when you found Jesus? He said, oh no, I grew up in church. 
I used to go to a little children's church, just like they're having in there. I've known God my whole life. It was just once I lost everything else, all I had left was my faith. He said every single day I would pray the same prayer. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. You ever heard that before? We pray it often, don't we? I don't know that I've ever meant it like he did. God, today, please give me something to eat. He said every single day, God faithfully answered that prayer. Every single day, God gave me my daily bread. And I asked God to deliver me from this. And I sit in my apartment today to tell you that he has done just that. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're lost. Well, for the original hearers of Jesus' story about Zacchaeus, they do a little different math. A tax collector, that's a person who's made their money because they've aligned themselves with a power other than the power of God. Jesus sees this tax collector climbed up in that tree and says, You need to get down, Zacchaeus. You're my host for lunch today. Jesus makes himself the recipient of hospitality from a sinner and loses all credibility as a religious teacher and preacher. If he were any good at his job, he would know you don't hang out with those people. And if you do, you make sure they know they're your project. You don't receive their hospitality and rely on their resources. And that's what Jesus does. He receives hospitality from a sinner. And Zacchaeus, somewhere in that meal, somewhere during that visit, encounters the good news of God's love in a new way. And it humbles him. It humbles him to the point that he pays back all the people that he's gypped off. And he gives away way more of his wealth than is required in Scripture. And it's once he takes action, it's once he sees the suffering he's caused, it's once he gives to others that Jesus says, Today salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. You have encountered the love of God. It has humbled you in a new way. And you have actively gone to work to make what was wrong right again. That's God's justice. When each of us is humbled and sees our own brokenness and our own complicity in what is wrong. And we decide to join God in making it right again. That's the work of the gospel. It's the work we try to be a part of at City Square. And I hope it's the work you'll join us in as those who share our faith.
May we all hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I didn't plan to do this, but part of our custom and storyline with messages is often to have a conversation or to kind of get some feedback. Um, and I feel kind of compelled to do that, to let you all respond. What what grabbed your attention? What what stirred in your heart as uh, you heard John's message this morning? One thing that I've never really considered, um, you, said, um, you can imagine people are wealthy in America, and you've been blessed by God, um, and people are poor, you know, they really that sort of thing. Um, one thing I've never heard, because it's not something you would tell to a person, like, oh, I've got a new job, it pays well. Um, we always say you've been blessed by God, but what if you kind of were blessed by the other side with a lot of money? What if you were blessed with a lot of money to be tempted and to be corrupted? I, I don't know. Um, it's not an angle I've ever looked at it from, but so maybe it's not true. But, um, I really appreciate the reminder and the challenge um, about looking at yourself and seeing what you may be complicit in. And I also really appreciated the your thought of like, oh yeah, well we only associate with these people if they're the project, like the idea of Jesus receiving Zacchaeus hospitality and how it's like, oh we want to. Like, we want to make sure that, you know, we're here for you because we've got it right and we're going to help you rather than having it be a true relationship where it goes back either way, you know, back and forth and thinking that, like, you have something to learn here, too. And um, I, I, it's, it's a great reminder, and it's a huge challenge, too. I feel like it's very easy, at least for me, to sometimes fall back into, like, oh, well, I'm helping this person and not realizing that that mindset is problematic. <laughs> yeah. We get volunteer groups all the time that want to come do projects for us. Yeah. We had a really refreshing, different approach recently where AT&T had hundreds of execs from all over the country in town, and what they wanted to do instead was have community dinner. And so we hosted 200 AT&T executives with 200 of our neighbors. Um, and so that these, it was just a meal, and everybody was intermingled. And it was so powerful just to watch people find their shared humanity with one another. It was great. There's something that jumps out to me with Luke is really good about talking about the reversal of roles. And especially if you're exalted, you're going to be brought low. But what I really saw in the story is that the exalted that brought out that, that received salvation brought themselves low. Which, you know, which equation do you want to be on? Do you want to be the one who's bringing yourself low? Or do you want to be brought low? And I, I don't mean that in a, okay, I'm doing this, God, I'm afraid God's going to knock me down. But it's just that, again, that humility, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the tax collector brings him, the tax collector brings himself down low. That's overall part of the league, is voluntarily saying, you don't have it together to recognize it. Thanks, Gerald. This isn't in regards to money, but in another way of self-righteousness. I think as I grow in my faith or I learn new 
ways to be and new things, new concepts. Um, just a lot of growth and expansion that has happened for me personally the last couple of years. That's also an easy way to be like, I've got it. Like, I'm enlightened and I am woke, as the kids say. And I feel like the more I get that way, the less I start noticing where people aren't. And so I, I, that was a good call to um, check myself in that regard of the self-righteousness, not in a money regards, but just in a way of like, well, I feel like I'm enlightened, and now I'm starting to notice the people around me who are not. And yeah, that resonated with me too, Lauren. Just the, the line of thought about contempt mm-hmm. and how... Um, when you feel like you've arrived somewhere, how easy it is and insidious to, to yeah, to feel contempt toward the other, whoever the other is, whether it's the guy with the red baseball cap, you know, or uh, someone in poverty, or even my wife. Heaven help me. Um, I'll tell her later. <laughs> That's one thing we we wrestle with is like we we don't have we don't have clients. We have neighbors. And, and so, because kind of what woke us up was that we need one another. We even need people in poverty. So we tell this story, the kind of this foundational story at City Square called the Josefina Ortiz story. Where this Latina grandma named Josefina Ortiz comes to our food pantry needing help. And our longtime CEO, Larry James, helps her with a light bill and then lets her go shop for groceries. There were two Latina moms behind her. They didn't know each other. Their kids were playing on the floor, becoming fast friends. These moms don't speak English. Larry doesn't know Spanish. They're at this impasse. Miss Ortiz comes back through and Larry says, man, would you translate for me? Well, she does more than that. She sits down in this chair and she conducts the entire interview for the two women behind her in line and gets them what they need. And then she said, you know, sir, I can come back tomorrow if you need me to. And she came back tomorrow for the next nine years. And so we started, instead of having like a dozen volunteers from the Park Cities driving down. We started asking everybody that came to us, could you help us? And so pretty soon we had 300 neighbors from the community running our food pantry. Well, what happens is when you become so aligned and in solidarity with the poor, then you have contempt for the rich. And yet there's a, a, a really important understanding of um, if we're going to have true reciprocity, then the rich need to be a part of our work as much as the poor. And they need to be saved from their wealth as much as our neighbors need to be saved from their poverty. Mm-hmm. But we get so aligned with those in poverty that then we have contempt for the rich. Yeah. Well, that's a real awkward place to be when you need their money to run your program. And so it's like, why don't you give to us? What well, because you think I'm a piece of, you know. So, um, so I had to create this mantra. That, remember, donors are neighbors too. Because um, our best ministry, I think, is when we create that engagement of shared humanity. And some of the most miserable people in our community are the donors who have been isolated by their wealth and um, broken by having too much. Uh, and we lose that empathy. And so we have to continually be humbled by that to knock down barriers to our community because we have ways of aligning that kind of flip off the wealthy. Yeah, that's really good. One, one more, John. Did you have a thought? Yes, I lived three years at the House of Life Foundation for shelter, and I went uh, two blocks away to Mercy House. But initially, as a 
congregate later on. They would be in there to preach on Saturdays. And to see people that came to our Saturdays and Sundays to get to eat as much as they wanted to. The rest of the week, they, they, they live in the bridges. 80, people don't know, 80% of homeless folks will not go to a shelter. Will not go there. They don't want the rules. They don't want to not smoke. They don't want to, you know. So, so they, they live. God gave this day my daily bread. They live in that world, literally. They, the people that I've met had a vibrant faith in Christ that just blew everybody in, in First Baptist house into this galaxy apart in terms of, terms of living faith. Uh, so it's true, you know, and, 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 and now it's been part of Trinitarian Church. You know, it's the sweetest rich people I've ever met. I met a lot of not so sweet rich people, but uh, it's it's hard. But it, 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 and so it's necessary to keep that separation. Is to be engaged with going to the poor. So so the so so the, the suburban churches came to the places to brought the food and serve the food. So that kept their faith and their humility and their connectedness alive because they kept coming back week after week after week. And they, and, and they appreciate that their kids have got plenty of food and plenty of clothes and plenty of medicine. You don't have to learn part of the way in life. You know, so, it, I, I mean, it's a both thing. Sure. Right on. Uh, another one of our customs after the message we call mission prayers. And uh, it's, uh, um, sometimes we have folks from the community come up and share about Breakthroughs or battles that they're experiencing in the mission, and we pray for each other. Um, with you here today, uh, we kind of like to put City Square in that place of prayer, and have you share with us. You know, are there are there breakthroughs that we can celebrate in prayer with City Square? What what are the battles that are on the front of your mind that we can um, pray with and for uh, you and City Square and your neighbors about as you? Um, work for justice and righteousness in the city. What uh, what comes to mind? How can we pray with you? Good question. Um, I'm so used to what's not working and what the threats are and the scarcity, so I, I tend to go there. So this is a good... I'm going to follow your sequencing and try to start with a blessing or a breakthrough. <laughs> We have over 750 people that we've housed that were under bridges in homeless camps or in homeless shelters. Um, we just got a new housing grant that will actually do um, help house homeless families out of family shelters as well. That's the um, fastest growing demographic of homelessness in Dallas. We've actually got our act together on best approaches for chronic homelessness. So it's dropped 6% in the last year in Dallas County, but uh, homelessness overall has gone up 9%. So that tells you that in this housing market, there are new populations being kicked out into homelessness. So um, we're doing great work in getting people housed, but we're having to break through to a new territory and try to help house families because of the housing crisis here in Dallas. That's both an opportunity and a, a, a travesty. So that's something to pray for. Um, funding is really tight and we need prayers for resources um, there, there's not an exact science to how you run a nonprofit. 
but you don't make widgets, so you can't just go sell more of them. Um, and so you rely on people's donations, you rely on different grants. And um, the current political cr- climate um, is really hard on nonprofits. Um, changes in tax laws, um, changes in donor behavior. When donors get scared to death, they hold on to money. Um, and when the market has the kind of declines it had last December, um, we had conversations like there's a sweet grandma that would give me for the last three years $200,000 in December for housing. And she said, I want to do it again this December, but I have half of that. Um, so um, there are things like that where we have, you know, we try really hard to be great stewards. And we've gotten big enough that we're also an employer of low-income people. So we want, as an employer, to keep low-income people working and stabilizing. Um, and um, we have some current threats financially, so pray for our financial health. Um, it's a really painful time in Dallas County. Uh, May, we had a spike in murders. Unlike any we've seen, that tells you a story about the pressure of life in low-income communities. Um, poverty in Dallas is basically a story of racism. And um, there are structural, there's structural racism that... Um, makes the vast majority of low-income people in Dallas black and brown. And we haven't wanted to deal with that collective sin. We want to distance from It's more comfortable if that's something that happened three generations ago. But if you don't ever kind of confess it and grieve it and acknowledge it, it just keeps poisoning you. And so it keeps poisoning our city. And the police shootings, the the racial rhetoric in our politics, the anti-immigrant rhetoric in a county that is, um, has so many immigrants working and trying to raise their kids and trying to get their kids education and opportunity. There's just a lot of really scared, angry, hurting people around the issue of race. And you throw that into a time of some economic scarcity, then you know, usually what happens is you throw Texas heat. <laughs> so June, July, and August, people just get crazy. So um, th- there's just a lot to pray for there as far as the well-being of our neighbors. And we need some racial healing. White people just don't understand. We do not understand and we're going to have to have a humility to that. That, um, you know, I grew up being taught that police are your friend. You know, I think I'm a great driver, but I also have a really heavy foot. So, like, one time I got stopped for speeding. When my who now 17-year-old was, like, three or four, and she was like, Daddy, why is that policeman behind us? Is he here to help us? <laughs> No, well, he's here to tell Daddy to slow down. But, like, we're conditioned because of our privilege and our social location to, to think that people in authority are going to do things we want. Um, the black community is used to never winning a verdict ever. So when a black person's shot, the assumption is there will not be justice. And when you go time and time and time again with white people getting off 
whenever they shoot a black person, and that becomes the way of life. Um, when black professionals have to teach their kids, here's how you deal with the police if they stop you. Um, when black colleagues of mine that have doctorate degrees, like I do in ministry, get stopped. Um, I had a friend that I went to ACU with who died an untimely death in his 40s, but he was a, a African-American successful radio personality in Austin, Texas. Drove a BMW, lived in a gated community in West, Westlake, and would get stopped coming in and out of his, his community because of the color of his skin. His teenage son gets questioned by security as to why he's at the swimming pool, and he lives in the neighborhood. That is the way of life for people of color every single day. So when a shooting like Botham John happens, and that trial is going to like, unwrap, like, the emotions that are pent up in that, um, there's just a, a lot of that stuff just percolating right now. So um, we need prayers for our city because there's a lot of hurting people, and they're not sure whether racism is a part of our past or our present. Thank you for sharing, John. It's uh, an honor for us to have you here and you to share the word and share some of that perspective with us. Uh, I'm going to pray. And after uh, the prayer, we're going to pass the basket for our annual justice offering. Um, if you've got check or cash you want to give this morning, or if you want to take this time to give through our website on your smartphone, you can do that. We'll also receive donations um, uh, through the next week. So um, if uh, you want to give beyond today, uh, you'll still you'll certainly have a chance to do that. Uh, half of our offering this year will go to support the work of City Square. The other half of our offering will go um, to our justice fund that we use um, in uh, work with our friends and neighbors in need uh, that we meet kind of as we go along. So um, we'll do that after um, after our prayer for City Square. Pray with me, please. Lord God, uh, you are uh, the God of justice and righteousness. We praise you for being a God, not of uh, the rich and powerful, but of the poor and vulnerable. Uh, for being at the margins with those in need, for those, with those who are downtrodden, for being their advocate. Um, we praise you for, um, for looking out, for having your eye toward those who are oppressed and subjugated and uh, under the thumb of whatever powers they find themselves. Uh, God, we, we praise you for the way that your ear and your heart is bent toward those who are in need. God, would you align our hearts with yours? Would you align our passions with yours for justice and righteousness? Um, as you rise up, God, would you rise up in us um, to do right, to do justice, to do mercy in our neighborhoods and in our city? God, we thank you for, for John's uh, presence with us here this morning for the work of City Square and, and with John, we praise you for the work that you have done um, in this last year, the last few years, to house hundreds of people uh, who were formerly homeless and whose housing was uh, insta- unstable and who, who have homes now, who have places to belong, who have 
refuges uh, that they can go to who have um, uh, who have a, a different plane of existence now than they did before. Um, and um, we give you thanks for that. We see you at work in that, and we just ask, Lord, would would you do more of that um, in our city? Would you do more of that through City Square? We pray especially for um, for the number of homeless families that is increasing in our city, and um, where I think about the kids who are uh, a, a part of that and who who are experiencing homelessness and just uh, come to a point of loss uh, thinking about if that was my own kids. And uh, Lord, we lift those families up to you and we pray, God, that you would come to their aid, um, that you would make a way for them to find um, homes, for them to find hope, for them to, uh, to be taken care of. God, would you work through uh, city squares they seek to address uh, that, uh, that injustice and that problem in our city. Um, God, would you call us into participation in that um, as well as you will. Lord, I, um, I pray for the healing that needs to take place in our city. Uh, God, it's way above our pay grades or abilities or power, and yet you invite us to participate with you in your work of healing and restoration. God, we lift up the, uh, uh, the racial wounds, the structural racism of our city, and um, for this past month, that was a very violent and troublesome month in our city, and we, we just ask for your healing power. We ask for, um, um, for your care and, and presence with those who are uh, suffering the, the grief and the loss of um, the violence. God, we pray for, um, for those in places of privilege and power who are blind to their privilege and who are uh, in denial about racism and its effects in our city. God, would you help us white folks to wake up to our complicity, to own it, and to do the self-work uh, to, uh, to be better humans. And, and beyond that, God, structurally, will you dismantle the powers and principalities in our city that have vested interests in, in uh, perpetuating evil? Uh, that comes from racism uh, that keeps people down. God, would you would you bring liberation from that evil systemic sin? Lord, we pray for your provision for City Square. God, would you give them what they need? We know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We know that as we seek your kingdom and your justice, that you will provide what we need, and we ask that for City Square, that you will provide what they need, that you will give them abundance, and that you would give them uh, wise management to, uh, to uh, let the, the monies and the resources that you give them impact uh, as, as, uh, as many people as they possibly can. Um, and God, would you move in our hearts today as we give this offering for the work of justice in our city, uh, the small part that we will play in helping to support um, the work of City Square and the work of justice. Uh, God, would you, uh, would you help us to put our faith in action through generosity today and through neighborliness this week? 
as, as John exhorted us, would you help us to do the heart work um, and to look at ourselves and uh, to join you in your work of justice in this world. In Christ's effort. Amen.